Hi, this is Ellie Kushner from Dancewell Podcast, and today I'm at the Jerome Robbins Dance Division of the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts with Tanya Trombley. We're going to be talking about cross-training for performance optimization. Um, Tanya, originally from Michigan, holds a BA in dance from Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania. She danced with several professional companies across the country before settling in New York City to work as a freelance artist. Currently dancing with four classical and contemporary companies, she is the founder and owner of Anti-Bunhead Fitness. Through her patented bulletproof ballerina system, as well as nutrition and lifestyle coaching, she works with dancers to help them reach their true potential as artists. Tanya believes that every dancer has a unique gift to share with the world and hopes to nurture strength, confidence, and self-worth in dancers so that they feel free to open themselves fully to their art. Tanya, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm really psyched to be here. And, you know, I want to start by saying um, you guys at Dancewell are doing a great job. Thank you. um, With the content that you're putting out. Part of the awesomeness of social media is that everyone has a voice and they get to say whatever they want. But (laughs) the peril of social media is also that everyone has a voice and they get to say what they want. So there's a lot of not so valid and scientific stuff out there but you guys are doing a great job of filtering through things and having some really good resources for dancers to listen to so great thank you so much um we appreciate your fanship (laughs) as well as your information today um let's start with your personal journey um you you told me just before we turned this on that you had a a dolly dinkle background (laughs) (laughs) how did you progress through um, to where you are now as a professional ballet dancer and then make your way into the fitness world? It's been a long journey. <laughs> um, well, I started at three years old in just local studios in my small town of Richmond, Michigan. And um, it was great. I, I don't want to, you know, poo-poo those schools or anything no. like that. They were, they were wonderful for me at the time growing up. And I got to do jazz and tap and clogging and all that good stuff um, and had a wonderful experience there. I didn't really know of, or I didn't know that there were these conservatories for ballet. I was really kind of in a, a big fish in a small uh, pond type thing. Um, and that was up until I went away to college and I, as you said, was majoring in, in dance and ballet at Mercyhurst. And once I saw the level of my peers and, you know, heard all the the schools, the elite schools that they had gone to and the training that they had undergone, I was kind of feeling very, very behind in my training. Um, but I somehow managed to get a full-time contract with a company as soon as I graduated from college and danced with them for a year in North Dakota. And then I moved around a little bit afterwards and finally came to New York. Um, but I very much feel like my dance career has been just kind of pieced together mm-hmm. by learning as I go and making mistakes. And, um, yeah, it's a very, very, uh, non-traditional, approach to a dance career, I think, but somehow it's worked out for me. I once heard Kate Lydon, who um, 
I was at ABT for a long time and um, involved with dance media and um, say, you know, there are many, many roads to being a dancer. It is not a single expressway. There are, people come to this through so many different avenues. Um, so I, I think you're in good company. <laughs> um, what, what then led you into fitness? Well, when I moved to New York, I, of course, needed to get another job to support myself. So I ended up um, working at a small personal training studio just as the office manager. And um, through that, I eventually got certified uh, as a personal trainer and started training clients. Meanwhile, I'm working full time at the studio. I'm also working four other jobs to support myself and and trying to take class in my quote-unquote free time <laughs> um, to keep up with my dancing shape and um, it just got to a point where I was physically emotionally mentally exhausted trying to keep up the pace and I just felt myself my dancing and my body slipping further and further away from what I knew my potential was. And it seemed like the harder I worked, the worse I felt about myself, the worse my dancing got. And it was just this awful struggle to keep myself in the professional realm. Um, but I knew I wasn't giving my best. So I eventually got to a point where I was just dreading taking ballet class open class um, to keep myself in shape. It was just way too much for me. I couldn't handle the time restrictions and um, I just didn't have the energy after working a full eight hour day plus, you know, the travel time that you have and my other jobs that I had going on. It was just too much of a time suck and energy drain. And so I would end up getting actually nauseous before ballet class because I knew it was going to hurt so bad and I didn't have the energy to push through it. And it was a real struggle for me. And I was at a crossroads where I was like, this, this is making me miserable. Like this passion that I got into because I loved it so much is doing the exact opposite for me right now. It's making me just hate life. And it, it's a drag to get through dance class. So I was at a point where I was like, I either need to quit dancing um, or I need to try something drastically different. And so I still, as much as I hated taking dance class, I still absolutely loved performing. That was my real way of connecting with the world. Um, and so I didn't want to quit dance. So I was like, okay screw it, let's do something different. Um, let's break the rules. I'm gonna start lifting weights, which is the training that I was doing with my clients at the time. Um, and the, the type of training that we do, it's very efficient and intense. So it's pretty much 30 minutes of being in the gym. Um, and you're doing, you're lifting heavy enough weights to really fatigue the muscles and get a really deep um, get really deep tension into the muscles so that you're able to create adaptive changes that you need to get stronger so along with that intense workout 
is the recovery period afterwards. We always um, encourage people to let their bodies rest the 48 to 72 hours after an intense workout so that it's able to recover and heal from the micro damage that you're doing during the actual workout. So um, I was like, okay, maybe I should take my own advice and try this. So I started lifting weights. I would give myself a couple days off um, and just do like maybe light stretching or some rolling out or something. But I started to use my free time to explore other hobbies. I picked up surfing and snowboarding and (laughs) got a boyfriend Mm -hmm. and I started being a little more social and kind of filling my life with a little more pleasure and excitement. Um, And long story short, I thought that these changes were going to hinder my dance career, um, but they ended up actually being like a warp zone for my dancing. My (laughs) dancing improved, it skyrocketed, um, my happiness improved, I had so much more expression and artistry and um, emotions to put into my dancing when I actually was dancing. So it was almost like the less I danced, the the more I could enjoy it and feel good about it. It was really fulfilling me at that point. That's great. Um, I just want to, you said several things there. One was this idea of rest, and on my way here to the Jerome Robbins Dance Division of the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts. Um, I was listening to Marissa's last um, recent episode on tendinopathy, and they talked a lot about the idea of rest versus relative rest, and I think that's such a good term because, you know, just to be clear, like when we talk about rest, it's not like you spent the rest of your time lying on the couch eating bonbons. (laughs) You're still walking around New York City, climbing subway stairs, like you said, stretching, Mm -hmm. moving around. Um, so I think that that's just a, a good term for us to um, think about in our dance world of relative rest versus absolute rest. Um, and, you know, just it sounds like this training really enhanced your social emotional well being. It was like dance alone was just starting to suck the life out of you. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, with this more efficient training program, you just had more time to do things that kept you whole as a person absolutely absolutely um you know this idea of going to class and not going to class I mean I always joked like if I could have made a career out of going to class it would have been the the dream career for me I love going to class but I get burnt out of it as well um but you know in the strength and conditioning world for dance science there is a lot of tension because a lot of strength and conditioning people say that you know, there's a lot of ways in which dance class doesn't prepare dancers for performance. It helps them with technical skill building, but from a physiological standpoint, it's, it's not really the best. And a lot of people in the strength and conditioning world are sort of advocating for dancers to spend less time in class and to do more cross training, and then use that time in class really for the specific skill building that they need. Um, however, I know a lot of really successful elite dancers who poo-poo that and have take issue with it. 
And I think that there is something that is being missed in that conversation. I mean, I think that that's true, that cross-training is valuable, but I think there is something about the spiritual, ritualistic phenomenon of dance class that can, when it's going well, bring a dancer into sort of a, you know, it's like going to church every Sunday or something, you know? It's like being really religious and going to church every day. So have you vacillated at all with your stance on class or has that been pretty consistent ever since that time? You know, I think that for, if a dancer is enjoying class, by all means, do it. If it's making you feel better about yourself, if you love it, if it's, you know, if you're passionate about it, like, I think there's a ton of value in class. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes maybe what I say comes across that I'm telling dancers not to take class, but I'm really, I'm really saying don't force yourself to mm-hmm. do something mm-hmm. if it's don't destructive it's for way. you. Yeah. yeah. For me, I was using class and my training in a destructive way. It yeah. was like these, these, I would wake up in the morning and I had this list of, I've got to do a thousand crunches. Then I've got to do these certain exercises and then I've got to do this class and then I've got to do, and it was like this, daunting list that I had to put myself through this torture every day when I woke up and it was at the end of the day it was just like relief that I got through it versus wow what a fulfilling day that was I got to do all these things that I love you know so I tend to use ballet as a destructive mechanism sometimes when I get into that like bunhead mindset um, where I feel like I have to do certain things or I have to go take class or, you know, but it's rigid. Yeah, 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 exactly. Rigid and structured. And, um, but if class is something that you enjoy, like mm-hmm. yourself, you know, by all means, I think it's great. Um, going back to what you're saying about the strength and conditioning worlds, um, and technique class, not preparing you necessarily, I think Anytime you have two extremes that you're saying, like, this is not important, you don't need that, or this is mm-hmm. not important, you don't need that, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of <laughs> room for discussion there and evaluating things further there. Yeah. Um, but I would say that I, in general, this is not the case with everyone, but in general, most dancers are not strong. Mm-hmm. We think we're strong and mm-hmm. we're strong willed and we're stubborn and, and we're we, well organized and yeah. coordinated perhaps yeah. in certain ways. Yeah. And we can handle a lot of pain. Yeah. You know, so we, we have this idea that we're strong and invincible, but you know, when you just look at how many people are getting injured these days and, um, just having trouble handling certain things in choreography, um, I think a lot of that comes down to not having enough strength. Mm -hmm. And even things like cardio. I was going to say, an insufficient cardio, I think, is something we have well established. And um, that is influenced by strength, too. Yeah. And so I think there's something to be said about focusing on... Um, or having like a two-pronged approach with your dance training. One is focusing on strength through cross-training, um, and the other is focusing on your skills in technique mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. And that way, 
when you're in technique class, you don't have to do both. And right. you can just let yourself flow and feel things. But when you try to do strength and um, skill in technique class, that's when something's got to give. You can't right. focus all your attention on the one thing. So you end up not optimizing either and you get halfway results in both. So for me, it's worked out well to kind of let myself just focus on pure strength gains in my cross training. And then when I do dance, I get to just flow with the artistry of it. And it's much more enjoyable for me that way. That's great. Um, and listeners who want to talk hear more about this, um, Sarah Needham Beck, Dr. Sarah Needham Beck did a great episode about cardiorespiratory fitness yes. where she talked a lot about that as well. Like know what you're working on and then choose the right tool for that. It's not that, it's not that any of the tools in your toolkit are out and out wrong they just need to be used for what they're best at mm -hmm. um so you you just mentioned a few times this word bunhead and your um company is called anti-bunhead fitness so can you in your words uh what's a bunhead <laughs> <laughs> well bunhead is um someone who is 24 7 eating sleeping drinking dreaming ballet. Mm -hmm. And disclaimer, I don't have any problems with bunheads yeah. if they're happy and right. if they're being fulfilled by that lifestyle. Um, what I do have a problem with is that rigid bunhead mentality where you're using ballet as a, as a way to destroy yourself versus build yourself up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy for, especially because I think most or many dancers are that type A personality. We have perfectionism issues. Some of us tend to be compulsive about things and obsessive. And um, I think that that is where things can go wrong because you end up boxing yourself in to this lifestyle and not seeing outside the walls and the very things that you think are making you a better dancer and that are going to give you success with your ballet career are the things that end up destroying you mm -hmm. because um, you burn out either physically or emotionally or mentally um, or you miss out on opportunities that can actually really enhance your dance career, but because you're so set in your ways, I have to do this and this and this and this and this, um, you don't even see what's going on outside. And mm -hmm. so you miss out on all these opportunities that could actually skyrocket your ballet career and your potential. Yeah. Let's introduce this idea of burnout because we haven't really, we haven't talked about burnout on any of our episodes so far. and. Um, it's an issue near and dear to my heart. It's definitely what um, propelled me out of a performance career. Everything was fine. I had no injuries. Nothing was wrong. And I just just couldn't keep going. And when I learned about burnout, I said, oh, that's what that is. <laughs> you know. Um, so I hope it's something that we'll talk about a lot more in um, some future episodes. But um, Let's give an overview of burnout. It's a it's both a physiological and a psychological phenomenon. It's multifactorial in that way, involves many um, 
different symptoms and different causes and um, what are what what are some of those um, so you have of course physical symptoms which you tend to feel heavy or sluggish or um, just a general lack of power um, it's like you're in ballet class and you go to do a grand ma and you feel like your leg weighs 500 pounds. Um, you you go like, to do a jump do and you're like an inch off the ground and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> um, it's that feeling of not being able to drag yourself out of bed in the morning. Like mm -hmm. it just takes all your effort to throw off the sheets and roll off onto the floor. <laughs> because your body is just so physically exhausted. Mm -hmm. So that's probably, you know... For dancers, a major symptom. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think many dancers are walking around for years, decades mm -hmm. even, in a state of constant low-grade burnout. Mm -hmm. And they don't even realize it because it's become such a norm yeah, for them so to feel that way. Totally. Um, and then we have the mental symptoms, which is not being able to retain choreography, um, boredom, boredom, totally boredom, um, not feeling any will or drive. Um, and then there's emotional symptoms as well. And that's like, you know, you, you burst into tears yeah. at the silliest thing, like the Starbucks barista made your coffee wrong or something <laughs> and you just start bawling. Right. Um, and just like a, a depression feel, mm -hmm. walking around mm -hmm. like in with this black cloud over you, feeling like there's no, there's no light, there's no hope, there's no, there's nothing that's no fulfilling me right yeah. now. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Um, and then we have things like change in appetite. Mm -hmm. That can be an indicator. Either you want to stuff your face because you're so tired you just turn to food to be like a drug it needs energy yeah, yeah. And you're like source okay i'm tired i'm not getting better let's try to eat this oh that didn't work okay let's eat this like yeah. that type of feeling or it's a loss of appetite if you're just your body shut down and you're feeling nauseous and um your internal systems are not working properly mm -hmm. you're metabolism slow amped up in your sympathetic nervous system and you can't yeah right digest and, hormonal yeah. stuff yeah um, there's also sleep mm -hmm. is a huge factor. Like if you notice changes in your sleep, uh, either can't fall asleep at night, you know, you're, you're dead tired during the day and you can't wait to get home and get in bed. But then when you do get in bed, you are wide awake. <laughs> um, or you notice that you're having restless nights and not sleeping through the night and, or you wake up feeling, uh, under recovered and unslept. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier immune system. You know, you're you just can't shake that cold. You get one cold after another. You can't shake them. Right, right. A general like, generally not feeling vibrant. Mm -hmm. Like you, you don't feel like yourself. Maybe you're not stuck at home in bed sick, but you've got the sniffles. You know, you know something's wrong, mm -hmm. um, and you carry that around with you for weeks or months, and you just can't shake it. Or you get one cold after another. Um, Stuff like that are, those things are real 
clear indications of burnout, whether mentally, physically, or emotionally. And then, of course, we know there's a strong correlation between um, burnout and injuries. So, so oh, right. Also, um, you know, I have this story about burnout where one day I was walking down the streets of New York and some man in a suit behind me says, you know, I just got back from a week-long vacation in the islands and, you know, I still feel burnt out. And I want, it was shortly after I had learned uh, burnout and I wanted to turn around and be like, that's because it doesn't go away in one week. <laughs> you know? like, it was just so classic that, you know, burnout can be a really um, long recovery too. It can be, again, and it needs that multifactorial approach in terms of recovery as well. So I think a lot of what you're talking about is um, to do with avoiding burnout by being more efficient with your training program. Um, and so when you talk about optimizing performance, what does that, as, cause, because you are both a dancer and a personal trainer, what does that mean to you as, from both of those identities? So I talk about this thing called peak performance state a lot. That's like my ideal that I'm always reaching for. Um, and I use a three-pronged approach there. Um, the first is athletics, uh, which is where the cross training comes into play. And with that, with athletics, we want to try to, again, optimize our strength so that we have the power to be the elite athletes that we are uh, when we're performing. Then there's aesthetics, which has to do with the actual look of your body, because like it or not, mm -hmm. <laughs> we are artists and our canvas is our body itself. So we're part of our job is to have a body that is pleasing mm -hmm. to look at expressive expressive and, yeah. can do what you want it to do type thing mm -hmm. um so having a, sh a body shape that allows you to feel confident in your body and is kind of optimized for the look that you can attain is what you want to go for and that has to do for some people it's fat loss mm -hmm. for some people it's putting on muscle so you have more tone mm -hmm. Um, it's going to be different for everyone as to what their ideal body look is, mm -hmm. but you have to have the right tools to know how to manipulate your body, the look of your body in that way. Mm -hmm. A lot of that has to do with nutrition. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third part of peak performance is artistry and that has to do with pleasure. And again, going back to this having extra time thing because you're training regimen is more efficient. Uh, the time gives you an opportunity to explore other things that will give you this richness in life that you can then put into your dancing. So other hobbies, being able to go out and have dinner with friends without freaking out that you're going off your diet. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Being able to fully enjoy things without that guilt that dancers sometimes have when they're following a rigid routine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just indulging in the pleasures <laughs> of this world. Right. We only get right. one life. So <laughs> if you're not enjoying it, if you're not exploring and you're not experience, experiencing things, 
you're going to have a lot of regret <laughs> at the end of your life. So I try to encourage those three things um, to bring about peak performance. Um, I love I love that last one because I think that really speaks to your experience as a ballet dancer, you know, really incorporating that into this idea of performance enhancement, that it's not just jump height and it's not just um, lean muscle mass or whatever, but that physical conditioning and cross-training can enhance artistry through through different ways. Um, let's go back to aesthetics for a second because it is such a tricky issue. And I mean, you are contemporary, you do contemporary work, but you're mostly, you mostly identify as a ballet dancer. Um, is that true? Yeah. That, yeah. yeah, mostly classical. Um, and so, I, you know, we spoke during Eating Disorder Awareness Week to Dr. Elizabeth Moray, who, who said, you know, listen, I would love for ballet to start accepting a broader range of body types, but I'm not seeing that right now. I'm not seeing ballet move forward in that way right now. So we talked with her a lot about the idea of um, the importance of working with athletic trainers or um, personal trainers or different type of conditioning coaches in order to help dancers uh, work with their body. Because I do think without cross-training, dance class won't succeed always in creating a body composition that dance wants, especially ballet. Ballet class, you know, there's some active points, but there's a lot of standing around, and yet ballet wants this really lean look right now, and so I think that that can contribute to dancers' tendencies to engage in disordered eating habits because their time is full, they're working so hard, but they're still not getting the body that they want, and so the next step seems like just dropping calories left and right. So um, I think it is, even though it's such a controversial or complicated topic, I I think it is important to talk about and to find really healthy ways that can be enriching and simultaneously address this issue of aesthetics in ballet and body type aesthetics. Um, Do you have anything you want to add to that about how you go about that or what you think about all that? Yeah, I mean, I have my own... I'm not, I'm certainly not a registered um, nutritionist or dietitian or anything like that. So caveat, got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, disclaimer. So I, what I advocate is based on what, what works for me and what has um, helped me optimize my body through the years. I got into the whole eating disorder thing and suffered with that for a long time and my current nutrition philosophy um, is what got me out of that. It helped um, me deal with the demons in my head mm-hmm. and helped me learn to eat in a way that allowed me to be healthy but still optimize my body aesthetics. Mm-hmm. So, and I do that through my nutrition approach, it's called fuel the fierceness. <laughs> and it's basically, it, it comes down to the point that I can't be at my leanest peak condition 24-7, 365 days a year. Yeah. I have to really be selective about when I cut for photo shoots mm-hmm. or performances or if I need to look a certain way for an event or something. Mm-hmm. A certain costume or... Uh, yeah. yeah. It's... I will use my clean eating phase mm-hmm. in this fat loss game plan that I have. 
Um, and then the rest of the year, I am trying to optimize my performance and artistry through pleasure and treats and, mm-hmm. you know, eating things that aren't so clean, but mm-hmm. just because I love them. Um, so it's all about knowing which foods feed which aspects that you're trying to optimize. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think... So you're not like advising people on those food choices. You're just saying, you're introducing this idea to people that like, you don't have to be this certain body all the time. It's okay for there to be fluctuations and changes and you're an athlete and just like any athlete will have different training habits when they're heading into peak performance. You know, they'll eat differently, they'll train differently. And dancers, I think, don't use that periodization tool very often. They tend to just think, I have to be perfect and gorgeous and svelte all the time, 24-7, 365 days a year. Yes. And that can lead to these issues of burnout and eating disorders and stuff like that. And so you're introducing this idea that you can have moments where as an athlete, you focus on certain transformations in your body within a small range and then other periods where you say, it's okay to not be perfect right now. I'm on a, I'm on a layoff and I'm going to enjoy it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, as dancers, we don't really have an off season. Like most professional athletes have an off season where they get to pig out and eat whatever they want (laughs) and get a little lax and lazy with their training and stuff. And that actually is a good thing. It Mm -hmm. allows their hormones to balance. It Mm -hmm. allows things to reset. It, Mm -hmm. you know, takes care of their joints a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But as dancers, we're constantly pounding on trying to get better. Yeah. And it's, unrealistic and on top of that we have the fitness industry showing images of people with less and less body fat these days on magazine covers and instagram photos and all that and it's great because it shows that humans are really amazing creatures and we can we're continually learning how to optimize and make things better but at the same time it it doesn't those images don't tell you that that model dieted for four months leading up to that one shoot where she looked like that for 30 minutes to get the photos. And right, then, and then got paid a lot of money yeah. to, you know, compensate her for that and then move yeah. on with her life. Yeah, yeah, it's like fitness competitions, yeah. stuff like that. Like, these people don't look like that all the time, but those are the images that you see. So right. you think that this low level of body fat is ideal or mm-hmm. it's you know, what you should be. That's what's, that's the answer. But Mm -hmm. in fact, like that, if you walk around at that low level of body fat, your hormones are going to be out of whack. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be obsessed with what you're eating. You're Mm going to miss out on all these other aspects of life. Not to mention, you're not going to be performing optimally either if you're not fueling yourself in a way that enhances your performance. So yes, going back, sorry, that was a long rant, but going back to what you said, I definitely believe that there are times throughout the year where you should be focusing on fat loss and there are certain foods to eat for that. Mm -hmm. There are times in the year when you should be focusing on fueling your performance Mm -hmm. um, and there are, again, certain foods to eat for that. And there are times during the year when you need to focus on just pleasure. (laughs) Yes, yes. And sometimes, you know, sitting in front of the TV, eating bonbons, is required. Yeah. So 
having all of those different um, stages is very useful. I think that's so great to say because, I mean, I it took me a while to realize that I had all these like guilt associations with some of those behavior. You know, if I did need to sit on the couch and eat bonbons, like, and then I'd feel guilty, and I didn't, I didn't enjoy it, and I felt didn't. It was so unbeneficial, and then I got to a certain point where I said, you know, it doesn't seem like it's really impeding me. Like I haven't, my body composition hasn't changed that much. My performance hasn't been compromised that much. I think, I think it's actually okay to just do this once in a while. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. So I'll just do it and enjoy it and move on with my life. And that was a great relief. But I don't think, um, I don't think that comes easily to us as dancers no. to just go with the flow of different cycles of behavior and whatnot. Great. Um, so you've, you've touched on a few things, even in that last statement about um, strength and conditioning in like the field at large and this sort of um, what's trending. Is there anything else that you see in terms of trends and, and strength and conditioning or cross training and dance um, that you think should be commented on? I think that obviously cross training is becoming much more popular right now. It seems to be quite a buzzword quite in the vogue. dance world. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. But I think that there's also with that craze, you're getting everybody jumping on board and it seems like there's these two extreme camps. There's the the athletic coaches that are really really good with sports science stuff and they are used to training elite athletes and they are working with dancers in a way to optimize you know the strength and um, power and endurance and all this stuff and that's great Um, but then that when they don't understand enough about the nuances of a dancer's art and like the aesthetics that we were talking about and such, uh, you can end up with dancers that end up looking like CrossFit athletes. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with CrossFit athletes. They're awesome and gorgeous in their own way. But you can't walk on a stage looking like that <laughs> in a tutu. <laughs> at least at this point right. in the dance world. Right. On the other end of the spectrum, you have maybe coaches that are more familiar with the dance world and the needs of dancers and they're doing these choreographed routines with weights that looks pretty much just like dancing or you know you're doing these balances with five Super pound complicated dumbbell. moves yes. yeah complicated yeah. moves that are difficult to do yeah. um and they're just not honestly they're not efficient or they're not effective enough at putting tension where it needs to go in order to create a stimulus in the muscle to get stronger. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being a, a risk for injury during the actual training session, session yep. itself. And B it's kind of a little bit of a energy suck because you're not really getting much benefits on the other end. You're just, stealing energy from your dancing because you're putting it in. one more thing you got to do. Yeah. 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 Very little return. 
I'm seeing those two trends right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hoping that uh, with a little more, obviously with a little more education and experimenting, we'll move more towards things that actually work and complement a dancer's career. Yeah, things that are simultaneously evidence-based and scientifically valid, but also really sensitive to the artistic and aesthetic needs and desires of Mm -hmm. dancers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I see that too, and I appreciate you saying that. And I think um, it does feel like the edges are creeping in. Like there are, um, I think, people like you and the who come from the dance tradition who are becoming more and more scientifically educated and um, and hopefully also some some of those um, in the sport camp are becoming more and more intrigued and curious and open-minded about dancers mm-hmm. um, anything else you want to share about your work or what you do or how you do it um, yeah I think I think what I want to say is that I am never going to have the fame of someone like Sylvie Guillem. I'm never going to be known for my dancing like that. I'm never going to dance with one of the top 10 big companies in the world. I'm never going to get to dance on some of the iconic stages. But that being said, I am 1,003% fulfilled with this little dance career that I built for myself in New York City. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because I want other dancers out there to realize that there are so many different avenues to go down and that you can really curate your career into something that makes you fulfilled. Um, and what you might think is ballet success, I'm doing quotations, ballet success, um, is not necessarily ballet success. You know, I think finding fulfillment in what makes you happy is much more important than getting a contract with this company or getting this title or getting this role. You know, learning how to use ballet as something that fulfills you versus something that is going to prove your worth Mm. is a big difference. And I would just encourage the dancers out there to start thinking about that and do some soul searching because we have a tendency to use all these external validation things to build up our self-worth and you have no control over those things in reality what the director thinks what the critics think what your peers think you know none of that is actually your worth and so I encourage you to find ways of getting into your body and feeling the power and the strength and the resilience and the passion that you have inside you and then all that external stuff doesn't matter so if you don't get the job you're not crushed you might be a little disappointed (laughs) but 
you're still you and you're still enough. Um, so I just want to put that soul searching aspect <laughs> out there because I think a lot of dancers could use that sort of pep talk. Yeah, pep talk, exactly. Um, I think that's so wise of you and so important to say. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, Tanya, how do people find you if they want to correspond or work with you? I have my, I have two websites. One is antibunheadfitness.com. That is where my blog is. And you can sign up to be one of my bad girl ballerinas <laughs> and get on my emailing list. And you'll get a free ebook that is uh, how to love food and still get the body that you want. Um, so that goes into some of the nutrition stuff that we were discussing earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you sign up for the email list, you'll get that. And then you'll also get access to my blogs. And then my personal training and nutrition coaching is at my other website, bulletproofballerina.com. And you can email me from either site. I'm happy to talk to you. I love hearing your stories and um, trying to guide you in the direction that you need to go if you just aren't sure what to do. Um, So yeah, reach out to me anytime. I'm also on Instagram as bulletproof underscore ballerina. So great. Thank you so much, Tanya. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dance Well Podcast. Like what you hear? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dance Well Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about our podcast by visiting www.dancewellpodcast.com. We wouldn't be where we are without generous contributions from our listeners. Your contributions help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees, and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you would like to make a contribution to DanceWell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you have questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.